0: We are going to be in uh, the last few verses, in fact, the last chapter of Jonah. What a great time it's been. What a power-packed 48 verses. What a power-packed little book that, if we really examine it, applies greatly to our lives today. And uh, we're going to look today at Running Ahead of God, chapter 4 of Jonah. Let me ask you a few questions as we get going today. Uh, Have you ever run ahead of God? Don't need to say it out loud or raise your hand, but I know you have. I have. You ever run ahead of God? How about this one? Have you ever figured you could handle things or fix things on your own? Anybody out there? Men, don't be lying. Even some ladies, all right. I said you didn't have to raise your hand. How about this one? This is a tough one. Maybe, have you ever even ignored God's plan for you as you executed your own plan? Come on. I think we can relate to this. Perhaps we could also state it this way, not just running ahead of God, but we tend to try to run God. Now, you super saints out there, oh, not me, come on, if we really think about it, we sometimes tend to try to run God. We've got our own way of doing it. Or maybe, let me change it this way, maybe you're doing pretty good, oh, I'm serving God, but let me ask you this, do you ever serve God, but perhaps with the wrong motive, hmm, the wrong attitude, the wrong bias. Well, we're going to look at that today. As we wrap up, we know that salvation has come, amen? Salvation has come to an entire city, perhaps the largest city on the earth at that time. The drama should be over. Wouldn't you agree with that? That's what God sent Jonah to do. The drama should be over, but it's not. Chapter 4 should be the resolution chapter, but it is not. And we can learn a lot from Jonah today. In fact, let me just tell you this. We can learn what not to do. Sometimes that's good. Would you agree with that? The Lord blessed me on occasion to observe my older brothers and learn what not to do. I was not a saint, but I did not do a couple of the doozies that they did because I observed what they did and where that led and what happened. And so we can learn from Jonah today. big idea for us to think about is this, don't try to run God, let God run you. Lamar, don't try to run God, let God run me. Let's pray. Speak to us today, God, from this chapter, your words as we read them, penetrate our heart, God, may you just open our ears, our eyes, our hearts to you. May you speak to us. May this not just be something we do on Sunday mornings. God, may this just not be a habit that we have, even though it's a good one. God, may this be a true time of worshiping you, of allowing you to speak into hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's read chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. But... Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. Wah, wah. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. He's Got a good spot, doesn't he? Hmm. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came, the next day, God appointed uh-oh, a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied, it is right. I'm angry enough to die, exclamation point. So the Lord said, by the way, when you're angry and the Lord speaks, you better pay attention to what he's saying, because He's as they say in West Texas, he's fizzing to give something to you, okay? Here it is. The Lord said, You cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? So let's jump in and look at this chapter four. The first thing I am going to see is this little picture of Jonah and his God. This is not the people. It's not the sailors. It's not the captain. Right here in verses one through four, we have Jonah and his God. And this great chapter begins with one word, but. Pay attention when you see but. What happened in chapter three? Do you remember? Revival, repentance, salvation, and all of a sudden we have But. It's another negative turn by the runner here. So we see in verse 1, Jonah's anger. He's furious. He's greatly displeased. You know why? Jonah wanted the Ninevites to suffer. Jonah wanted the Ninevites, these pagans, to suffer punishment from God. This verse could little be stated from Hebrew in this way. The very first phrase there could be this way. But it was badness to Jonah with great badness. It was bad. And notice the scripture tells us he's furious. That word means to burn, to grieve, to be hot with anger. You've heard a hot on the collar. Much more serious than that. It's just furious. Note something here. God's anger against Nineveh had cooled off. Right? He relented. He saved them. And Jonah's anger grew even greater. Do you see the contrast? Do you see the contrast between running with God and trying to run God? God is doing this. You are doing that. His anger was wrong. He wanted them to hurt. Now, this is early in the sermon, but I'm going to drop a, a bombshell. Are you ready? And this is for you as, as much as it is for me, or I should say it's for me as much as it is for you, but I want you to think about this. I meant to say early on, first of all, be transparent with you guys, this, this sermon, this chapter is hard for me. Running from God, been there, done that, working on not ever doing that again. Running to God, I'm good with that, are you guys? Running with God, yes. Trying to run God, mm, it's a problem that I have. I don't know if any of you have that. I have that problem. And maybe I don't think I'm running God, but I'm running ahead of him. Anybody? Or my motive might not be the correct motive, even if I'm serving, even if I'm doing something good. Okay, I feel better, so I'm transparent with you there. But here's what I want you to get out of verse 1 in his anger I have seen that some people feel they can govern the world better than God can. Have you noticed that? And no, I'm not talking about politicians, I'm talking about us. We tend to think we can govern and run our world so much better. You see, it is our nature, are you ready? We have this sin nature, this human nature. It is our nature that we are satisfied until something happens. We are satisfied until something challenges our bias. You're going along doing great until something challenges your bias. Well, let's define that word bias for a minute. Bias means bigotry. That's right, I said it. Bias means intolerance. Bias means prejudice. Don't think we don't have it, church. Don't think we don't have it. You see, we're going along, we're doing great, then something challenges our prejudice, our intolerance, our bias, and all of a sudden our character rises up and shows itself. Have you ever seen that to happen in your life? The true colors come out. You see, some of us are more passionate about judgment than we are about grace. Hello? Amen? Nothing. Dead crickets. Wow. It's true, though, church. Christians are some of the worst about this. Judgment. We're we're passionate about judgment, but we forget about grace. God's given us grace, but are we going to give that child or that parent or that friend or that lost person any grace? Oh, no. We're going to be like Jonah. Judgment, judgment, judgment. I believe that we should not be mad at God because of his work in the world. Here, God brought salvation to many people, and Jonah was furious. Think for a moment. Who's that one person who has wronged you more than anyone else? It could have been yesterday. It could have been a long time ago. Would you be happy if the Lord saved that person? Who's that one person who may have done a crime against you? Would you be happy and joyful if the Lord saved that person? So we see we're a little bit like Jonah. And he's furious, he's angry, he's greatly displeased. Then in verse 2 and 3, we see his attitude. His true attitude comes out. And it's funny, this is a prayer. It comes out in a prayer. His prayer really, if you read it, is a complaint to God. It starts off well, and we're going to camp here for a minute. Look at verses 2 and 3 and see this prayer as it begins, and we're going to see five attributes of God. He, he prays, he says, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarsus in the first place. I knew you were going to, basically, God, I knew you were going to do this. That's why I didn't want you to do it. But then in his prayer, as he's whining, he gets along and he says, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Let's camp on that for a minute. Number one in his prayer, he says, God is merciful. Jonah should have known that, right? God gave Jonah a second chance. Listen to some verses. I'm going to quote verses in this section. You listen. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 and god is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way always having everything you need you may excel in every good work god is merciful titus 2:11 for the grace of god has appeared with salvation for all people god is merciful he's savior 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is merciful. Number two, God is compassionate. That's what's in the prayer. And let me say something about this, by the way. God has great capacity. So whatever you're looking at, You need to remember that when it comes to God's compassion, he has great capacity. We're compassionate to a certain extent, right? We can go so far. God has great capacity. We talk about omniscience, right? We talk about all those alms. But there's a fourth one we don't mention very often. It's called omnibenevolence. And it doesn't make it with the big three, but it's there. That idea that God is love, and love, he can continue to love. He has a capacity to do this, and here he's compassionate. I love Romans 12:1. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, it's the idea of compassion. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Psalm one o three eight. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and rich in faithful love. Well, that verse takes us to the third thing that's mentioned in this prayer, and it's that God is slow to anger. Interesting phrase. Slow to anger means long of nostrils. Now, you can interpret that a couple ways. As the nostril flares and you stay calm, or perhaps if I'm slow to anger, what what did your mama or your dad or your grandma or someone tell you when you get angry? Do what? Stop and count to 10. 30? Who said 30? No, 10. It's the idea. Think of long of nostrils. the idea of this. Okay. Lamar, you need to learn that. I need to learn this one. It means long-suffering. Nahum 1, verse 3, the first part, says this. It's very simple. Do we get it? The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. That's it. Psalm 145.8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, there it is, slow to anger and great and faithful love, and the Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. It's almost like Psalm 103 that we just read. And then we get to number four. He states that God is rich in love. Rich just means great. Doesn't mean wealthy, it means great. So he's great in love. The, 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 The picture here is the idea of loyalty, devotion, Faithfulness, would you agree that God is that He is? We sing, Great is thy faithfulness. This is the type of love we're talking about. Psalm 36 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and the first part of 5 says this, But when the goodness And loving kindness, there it is, and loving kindness of our God, our Savior appeared. He saved us. And then we get to number five in his prayer, and it's the God, God is the one who relents, my translation says, relents from sending disaster. Really, uh, this is a compilation or um, a combo of one, two, three, and four we just looked at. This encompasses it all. Remember, if you're reading between the lines here, Jonah is basically saying, God, you made a liar out of me. See, I knew this was going to happen. And then you have me go and proclaim destruction, and then you don't destroy. I got egg on my face. You save. You relent. Wow. Our problem is that we are like Jonah. Have you ever heard this phrase? We want to put God in our little box. You ever heard that? Be careful about putting God in a box. He doesn't fit in a box, but we all have our little box. It's based on our biases. It's based on our attitudes, our intolerance. It's based on our prejudice. It's based on our family of origin. For some people, we could go on and on, but be careful about putting God in your little box. We cannot fit God into our bias. Now, notice something here, church. I'm, I gotta be careful here. I'm getting tired of going through life and, and hearing from victims. Can I say that? And especially in church. At some point, church, we gotta quit being a victim about what someone did to us, or what decision was made, or whatever happened, and it's time to be victorious instead of being a victim. Can I just say that? Now, if that speaks to you, that was God. That's not in my notes, that was God. And if that doesn't speak to you, great. Pray for your brother or sister next to you, they might need it right now, okay? We we gotta be careful with this, because notice the attitude of Jonah. Jonah is sulking here. And can I say sulking is a very poor system of communication? It really is. How do we know this? Moses did the same thing in Exodus 32. Go check it out. He's sulking. It doesn't work well. Elijah, do you remember the great victory? And then he runs, and he's saying the same thing. Jonah, I wish I could just die. He's sulking in 1 Kings 19. Jonah did not understand what we read in Matthew 16, 26. Listen closely. Matthew 16, 26. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? Be careful saying, oh, I just wish I could go ahead and die. This is an attitude to avoid. I want you to remember something, church. I wrote this... In the side here, I think God gave it to me. Perhaps this is you today. Remember, you and I, you are first a sinner. And only second, someone who has been sinned against. Hello? Think about that for a minute. Don't spend all your time trying to run God because you have been sinned against. We are first sinners. And then way off second, we have been sinned against. We need to be careful. We don't need that anger that Jonah has. We don't need that attitude. And then we wrap up this section in verse 4. We get an answer from God. Did you catch it? It's in the form of a question. The Lord asks, is it right for you to be angry? I think here's a great truth for us. Jonah is not just the runner. Now he is the sulker. Yet God still sought the sulker. Aren't you glad that God still seeks us when we're in our sin? Aren't you glad that God still seeks us when we're having our pity party? Aren't you glad that God still seeks us even when we're trying to run him? God still seeks us. Thank you, Lord, for that. You see, God is about awakening us to the true condition of our soul. God will not allow our mistaken values to remain unchallenged. If God is challenging you on something, say, thank you, Lord. That's probably a good assurance indication that you're a child of his, and he's not going to allow you to stay right there and keep having that attitude or keep having whatever it is that you're having. He's going to work in your life. He's going to challenge you not to remain the same. Jonah forgot that he needed God as badly as the Ninevites needed God. The prophet, the runaway prophet, needed God just as bad as the Ninevites did. Well, let's move on. Number two, Jonah and the gourd. Maybe it's not a gourd, but I needed a G, so I put a G in there, right? The plant, okay? I don't know what it was. It's basically an object lesson. God gives Jonah an object lesson, and we get to be in on that today. So notice in verse five, Jonah takes matters into his own hands. He doesn't hang around where revival is taking place. Notice he didn't answer in verse five. God did the question in verse four, verse five. Jonah does not give an answer. Instead, he gets comfortable. He gets he goes off and gets a good vantage point, gets set up to see what really is going to happen there. I think he's still wondering if fire and brimstone might come, even though God has relented, even though uh, salvation has come. Hmm. He's comfortable. He's waiting to see what happened. Why? He was wounded. His attitude. It's like a kid. Have you ever noticed how kids pout and sulk if they don't get their way? Anybody? Anybody got kids? Grandkids? How about Don't great-grandkids even do that? Those of you that have them? Oh, no, not my great-grandchild. Yes, they tend to do that. How about Jonah? Just like adults, we do that. So th- there's what happens. But notice how God, verse 6, God gives provision. Did you catch what it says there? He appointed. That is a good, correct uh, translation right there. God appointed a plan. Now, God appointed a number of things. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 4, God appointed, do you remember, the wind. Then in 117, God appointed the great fish. And now this plan. Later on, in the next verse, it's going to be a worm. Then in the next verse after that, it's going to be a strong wind. It is God. Here's what I want you to get. It is God who's doing this. Maybe it says prepared in your version. It's, it's actually this idea. God does it. He appoints it. He makes it so. It is God. It is God. It is God. So God here gives provision. He gives Jonah shade. And Jonah was greatly pleased. Did you catch that? Verse 6. I mean, he's up and down. He's all over. I want to die. I'm mad. I'm upset. And all of a sudden he's greatly pleased. Maybe a smile finally came on his face. He's going from one extreme to the other. Don't you love it when God gives provision? Now, David, I was going to talk about a song, and I forgot. You give and take away. What is the name of that? Song? Blessed be, blessed be your name. You know that song. And then that bridge section, you, he gives and take away. He gives and take. I, I, isn't that true? Whether we like it or not, God has every right to. He is the giver, and he is the taker away. Right? He can do those things. Why? He's God, and we're not. And we see in verses 7 and 8, God does that. He appoints a worm. Why? It's the object lesson for us. This worm does something not so good. It takes down the plant, the shade, being comfortable. It shows Jonah where his true values were. It destroyed the only thing Jonah, I think, was concerned about right now, his comfort. He was concerned with that. And there's a principle here for us to remember. God often introduces disturbances into our lives to help us see where our true values lie. If God has put a disturbance into your life, it's a good checkpoint to really see where your values are, your character is, your attitudes, all those kind of things. I would challenge you to pay attention to that. Why? Because God cares too much about us to leave us where we are. Aren't you glad? When we're out of the will of God, when we have uh, unconfessed sin in our life, I don't know about you, it's easy to get miserable. If you're a Christian, it's easy to get miserable because God is going to be working on that. What, What should have been Jonah's response? Jonah's response when the worm comes and takes away his shade, Jonah's response should have been that of Job's. Job had it much worse, do you remember? All of his kids even got taken away, killed, everything. Uh, Just illness, just you name it. Even friends, remember, would come and tell Jonah what he ought to do and how he ought to repent. But right at the beginning of Job, Job 1.21, it says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the plant, and the Lord has taken away, the worm. And here it is. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You wonder where that songwriter got that idea for the song right there. Job one twenty one. So it's hot. I think it's a suburb of Phoenix. I'm not sure. Chandler, Scottsdale, I don't know which. But here he is. It's, it's very hot. It's important to note because he's almost fainting. So it's as if, if you have heat, not stroke maybe, but if you ever had heat exhaustion, you just get dizzy and you've you got to get some water and sit down and all that. So here it comes. The point of all that and and the wind to come, I think, is just a reminder, it's God who controls nature. We don't. We may think we do, but it's God who does that. Proverbs 30, verse four. Who but God goes up to the heaven and comes back down? Who holds the wind in his fists? Who wraps up the oceans in his cloak? Who has created the whole wide world? What is his name? and his son's name. And the writer of Proverbs says this, tell me if you know. Of course he knows that you know. It is God, it is Jesus. And for the second time here, when we get to verse eight, check it out, what does Jonah do? He wishes he were dead. I think, Jonah's being traumatic. Don't you hate drama queens? Well, he could, I guess he's a drama king. I don't know. He's, he's being dramatic with God. It's like a child and a parent. And I want to remind you, you can't sidestep God no matter how hard you try. Try it. Try to run and go this way. It won't work. He's there. Sidestep him and go this way. It won't work. He's there. He is the God who gives and takes away. And there's an object lesson here. It's not just to bring discomfort to Jonah or to us. It's to help reveal what is in us and what needs to be worked on in us. And then finally we get to verse 9. And just quickly we see Jonah and his grudge. He has a grudge. Then, the, then God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? This time Jonah answers. Yes, he replied. It is right. I am angry enough to die. Simply another question from God and a petulant answer from the runner. Jonah loved his air conditioning, but he didn't love Nineveh. It's just a stark contrast for me. He wants what he wants and not what God wants. You ever been in that boat? I have. I want what I want. I need to want what God wants. And then let's finish up in verses 10 and 11, last two verses of this book. I think we get a lesson from God. Jonah gets a lesson, and we do. Notice, starting in verse 10, now God speaks. Jonah speaks no more in the book. No more. God answers. So the Lord said, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, the Lord said, You cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. God answers, Jonah does not speak. God makes it clear that Jonah, Jonah had nothing to do with the plant. God is the one who gave it to him and Jonah did not deserve it. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What a great chapter, isn't that? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 10 and 11. But by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I work, and this Paul, I worked more than any of them. If he could boast, it'd be him, but he's not boasting. He says, "Yet not I, but God's grace that was with me." Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. If God gives us grace with no strings attached, I think he does. Now you may say, wait a minute, God expects this and that. But when it comes to his grace, there's no work that you have to do. Listen closely, whether you're watching online today or whether you're here in the room. Listen closely to this fact. You don't work your way to heaven. You don't work your way to God. God provides grace. There's no strings attached. That means there's not certain works you have to do. There's not certain hoops you have to join, jump through. You don't have to be, be a certain family member. You don't have to go to a certain church. You don't have to do a certain ritual. God Provides and gives to you. Hmm. Think about that for a minute. If God provides us this kind of grace, should we not extend the same grace to others? Jonah, should you not do that? Why not celebrate here at the end of the book, why not celebrate Nineveh's repentance? Wow. Jonah's comfort was temporary and salvation is eternal. Did you catch that? That is in there for me this week. i got to tell you, our new house, God help us, it's a war zone downstairs. You guys already know I'm whining and griping again. No kitchen cabinets, which means no kitchen, which means no sink, which means no floor, which means craziness. But what put me over the edge was Lynn's nice Bathtub in the master bedroom. You can't even say master bedroom, did you know that? You're supposed to say owner's suite now. I say master bathroom. There's a wall, tub, shower. Shower, hot water. Sink, hot water. Sink, hot water. Bathtub, cold water, no hot water. Put me over the edge. Why am I sharing this? It just just makes me feel better. I, I know why, because comfort is temporary But salvation is eternal. I spent more time that evening working on that thing and just fretting all night and the next day about something that was temporary, that is temporary, I hope, there's still cold water, (laughs) I hope by tomorrow afternoon, instead of worrying about the things of God that are eternal and we need to learn that. Why is it, why do we give great emphasis and amounts of time to momentary things? I'm not saying you can't play golf. I'm not saying you can't get together with friends. I'm not saying you can't go have dinner. I'm not saying you can't watch your favorite show or, hey, go, we can go to the movies again. I'm not saying any of that. But if we give great emphasis and more of that than to eternal things, we're getting out of whack. Listen to 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11. Based on the gift each one has received, talking about Christians, Use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong the glory and power forever and ever. Wow. So we see here, we get to these last two verses, and we see that God is speaking now and Jonah is not speaking. And then we finish up with this lesson in the form of a question. I believe, don't quote me on this, I think it's right, but only two books of the Bible end with a question, and this is one of them. But it's not so much ending with the question, is that there's a lesson in it for Jonah and for us as well. This ending question is an open-ended question. Do you know what those are like? An open-ended question it causes you to ponder and think, to adjust your life, to see, you know, to get a good inventory. And so here it is, an open-ended question, and it requires Jonah, and I think us as well, to take a spiritual inventory. Look at it. Verse 11, God speaking, Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? What is truly important? I think God is making that clear for us to think about. I I believe this is an intentionally abrupt ending to the book, just how God wants it to be. We are to think about eternal things, church. We should be concerned with the lost much more than our comfort. Hello? Hello, Lamar? what about you? We should be more concerned about the loss, those who will die today in Albuquerque, New Mexico, all over the world, and who will die and head into eternity separated from God forever. Yes, God is the one who saves. We don't save, but God uses us to lead people to him, to share his love and his grace with them. We should be more concerned concerned with the lost than our comfort, or our house, or our success, hello, or our security, or our pleasure, even more than our bias, you fill in the blank. So I would ask you a question, God asks a question, I would ask you a question. Do we have our priorities straight? Now, I did not ask if your spouse has their priorities straight. I did not ask if your kids do. I didn't ask if Hoppentown Church does. We don't, I, we don't need that, I didn't ask that. We need to have our house in order, and what does that mean? Is, are, are my priorities straight? Isn't it amazing when your priorities are straight how those other things begin to take care of themselves? Have you noticed that? Have you ever been in the sweet spot with God? In the center of his will, your priorities are his priorities. And what does scripture says? You ask and he gives. Why? Because you're lined up with him. Let me close in this way. I've prayed about this. I want to give you two scripture passages. I'd like for you to jot them down. The first one is 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. First, second, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. And they will be punished with eternal destruction. These are God's words. Forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people. Praise from all who believe. And this includes you. For you believed what we told you about him. You believed. You had trust in the good news. Do you see the seriousness of the answer to the question that God is leaving here? And here's the second verse I want you to think about. 2 Corinthians 5.15. 2 Corinthians 5.15. So that one was kind of tough. This one's better. And he, he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So let me ask you this morning, What do you care about most? If we're really honest, what do we care about most? Does there need to be adjustment? Is God bringing a disturbance to your comfort to get your attention as he chisels away at what he wants to make you to be? Hmm. And perhaps the most pointed question today is this, have you had a time in your life where you personally received God's grace? The Bible is so clear that we've sinned, we missed the mark. What does that mean? It means there's a penalty, it's death, we're separated from God. God is here and we're thrust over here and there's a chasm, but God had a rescue plan for you and me. He demonstrated his love in this way. Christ Jesus died for you and me, even though we're sinners. It is the message of good news that we need to get out to others. For God loved the world so much, he gave Jesus his one-of-a-kind son that we should not have to perish but what? Receive eternal life. That's not some mystical thing that means this life is ending, folks. This life will end. It has ended this week for some people that we know. And it will next week, next month, and all that. This life will end, and then we break open the gates of eternity. And God either knows us because we have that relationship with him, he saved us, or not. Not. Have you personally received God's grace? It's not a magic prayer. It's not signing on a dotted line. It's truly repenting of your sin and trusting what God says is true. Confessing that Jesus is Lord and believing in our heart this. Have you done that? If not, why not? today. Why not respond to God today? We're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to respond, and you can respond to God. Perhaps there's a bias that you're dealing with. This is your opportunity to respond, for us to pray about that. Perhaps you are serving, and maybe even serving well, but your motive's not quite right. This is a time for you to respond, to let God work in your life. Let's pray. God, help us not to run ahead of you God, help us not to run you. It is so in our nature to do that. God, I pray you'd speak to people right now. God, I believe people right here, those listening online, I believe there's people that need to repent and trust, God, that you're the God who saves and that you're the God who is Lord of life. So we pray for those. and God, I pray for those that have already had that happen that we would serve well with the right motives. God, help us, please. I pray that you would work in our lives. God, help us not to be sulkers or victims. Help us to be victorious. Help us to be about eternal things and not temporary things. God, speak to us this time. We love you. We thank you that you are here. Your spirit is within us and is present right here. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.